This is Anchored in Christ, the sermon podcast that gives you hope in the gospel as an anchor for your soul. Brought to you from Old South Presbyterian Church in Newburyport, Massachusetts. We continue in our series that comes largely from Krish Kendaya's book, God is Stranger. It's looking at all of the unusual ways in which we encounter and experience God so that our minds are opened, our hearts become sensitized to finding God in unexpected places. Our scripture is from Genesis chapter 25. It begins on page 20 of your pew Bible. We are looking at the life of Joseph, and we are going to look at his very beginning in utero, and we're going to look at the moment in which he meets God face-to-face in chapter 32. So beginning with verse 21 or 25. Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife because she was barren, and the Lord granted his prayer. And his wife, Rebekah, conceived. The children struggled together within her. And she said, if it is to be this way, why do I live? So she went to inquire of the Lord. And the Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb. And the two peoples born of you shall be divided The one shall be stronger than the other. The elder shall serve the younger. When her time to give birth was at hand, there were twins in her womb. The first came out red, all his body like a hairy, so they named him Esau. Afterward, his brother came out with his hand gripping Esau's heel so that he was named Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when she bore them. When the boys grew up, Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field, while Jacob was a quiet man living in tents. Isaac loved Esau because he was fond of game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Now turning to chapter 32, beginning with verse 22. It's found on page 28 of your pew Bible. The same night he, that is Jacob, got up and took his two wives, his two maids, and his 11 children and ford of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream and every everything that he had. Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. When the man saw that he had not, did not prevail against Jacob, he struck him on the hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go, for the day is breaking. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. So he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. 
Then the man said, You shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with humans and have prevailed. Then Jacob tell me your name. But he said, Why, why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, For I have seen God face to face, and yet my life is preserved. The sun rose upon him as he passed Penuel, limping because of his hip. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Lord, we pray that you would give to each of us the word of God that we need to receive and that it may become life for us and that we may walk with you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I was a teenager in the 70s. I was a teenager in the 70s. And the 70s are known for posters, all kinds of posters. And one of them was this little kitten hanging from a clothesline by one paw, and it says, hang in there. Did anyone ever see that poster? Do you know that life is sometimes experienced like one extended struggle to hang in there? Now, what is struggle? Struggle is when we are contending against an opposing force or an adversary. Where is God in our struggle? And why is there so much struggle in life? That's the question we bring today. Let me tell a story that comes from C.S. Lewis's Chronicles of Narnia, as it's recapped by Krish Kandaya. It was pitch black. The boy, he thought he could hear breathing, and he imagined to himself that there was a giant stalking him. Now, having already fought off lions, his horse was too tired to outrun anyone. And so when he could bear it no more, the lad cried out, Who are you? And the answer from the stranger was to change his life forever. In C.S. Lewis's The Horse and His Boy, young Shasta is on the run from his family. The boy and his horse have suffered a series of terrible misfortunes, and Shasta begins to cry. Now the stranger reassures and listens to Shasta, as he recounts his troubles, how he has been howled, as he recounts his troubles, how he has been howled at in the desert, chased by lions, forced to swim for his life, how hungry, tired, thirsty, and on the verge of reaching safety, another lion attacks him and wounds his traveling companion, Erebus. Finally, the listening stranger speaks and reveals his identity. I 
was the lion. Shasta's jaw drops. I was the lion who forced you to join with Erebus. I was the cat who comforted you among the houses of the dead. I was the lion who drove the jackals from you as you slept. I was the lion who gave the horse the strength of fear for the last mile so that you could reach King Loon in time. I was the lion you do not remember who pushed the boat in which you lay, a child near death, so that it came to shore where a man sat, wakeful at midnight to receive you. Now Shasta's life had been marked by struggle, but in each struggle, it was Aslan, the lion, who was saving his life. Our question, why is there so much struggle in life? Has many sources for our answers. But today, we're going to look at Jacob's life and find in his life three sources of that struggle. The first is dysfunction that comes from the fall. The second, distrust. And the third is God's struggle with us. The first, dysfunction that comes from the fall. Genesis 3, we looked at that uh, three weeks ago. Genesis 3 tells the story of the fall. And it painfully details how humans chose to be Lord of their own lives and all the consequences that follow. This unity that God created, this beautiful life with God, with one another, and with the world, it fell apart. It was just a few years ago that I spent my time in the kitchen. I don't normally do that. And I made a coconut cake, and I was so proud of myself. It was just as pretty as it could be and tasty. I carried it out to the car to give it to a, as a gift to a friend and dropped it. And you know what happened. Split apart, fell to pieces. That's like the consequence of the fall. In Genesis 3, we meet the serpent, the deceiver, we see him in the New Testament as the devil, Diabolo, which means the splitter. And what we see is Jacob's family is split in every way. It's this multiplication that happens with sin. We have Isaac and Rebekah, husband and wife, split from each other. Esau and Jacob, twin brothers, split. Their, their struggle begins in the womb. It's like no, that's my side. No, that's your side. No, it's my side. I mean, it's kind of like kids in the back seat before seatbelts. Did anyone ever have an imaginary line and fight in the back seat about who's crossing over? There's a struggle about who's crossing over. There's a struggle going on. Rebecca goes to God in prayer, finding out what's going on. And the Lord tells her, these twins will become two nations, the older serving the younger. Rebecca receives the word and does what? She manipulates and deceives in order to get it. God gives something and she grabs it. Dysfunction comes from the fall. I don't know if you've ever 
taken something because you thought you deserved it when God actually wanted to give it to you. In Jacob's family, the parents are split from their children, and the children are split from their parents. We learn that Isaac loves Esau. It's sheer favoritism. And it says that when, when, when Jacob comes, he has to put on clothes of Esau, and Isaac takes a big whiff, and it smells like the great outdoors. I mean, this is before deodorant. Isaac loved Jacob. Did you catch why? Because he barbecues. He barbecues the best wild game. Isaac loves Esau, but not Jacob. Isaac does not plan on doing what Jacob is going to do, what Joseph is going to do, what all the succeeding generations do, is bless all the family. Isaac is going to bless one of his sons. And Rebekah hears this. Rebekah loves Jacob and not Esau. Jacob and Rebekah cook together. They watch the shows together. They try new recipes together. And Rebekah together. They watch the shows together. They try new recipes together. And Rebekah sides with Jacob against her son Esau. Now, if anyone in the family went to family counseling today, they would learn that they were dysfunctional. Thinking back on his own dysfunctional family, one man remembered the moment when he realized that his parents loved his twin brother more than him. It was the day they asked him to blow up the balloons for his twin brother's birthday party. Oh, dear. Now that is dysfunctional. Three years ago, the National Association of Home Builders reported on new floor plans that are designed for the dysfunctional family. I'm not kidding you. Spaces and rooms for studying or sewing with separate areas for each child, and the master bedroom is far away from the children, and of course there's the escape room that everyone can go to to get away from everyone else. Now, growing up in a dysfunctional family is not fun. In fact, it brings great suffering. And perhaps you know this all too well from personal experience. Dysfunction hurts, and hurt people hurt people. Jacob is hurt by his family, and then he in turn hurts others. It's that multiplication of sin. He tricks his brother into selling his birthright. He deceives his nearly blind father, declaring three times and invoking God's name that, yes, it's Esau. Jacob struggles against his family, and he manipulates them to get what he thinks is rightfully his. Manipulate. We get manicure out of it. It has to do with hands. It's managing. It's making a situation or people do what you want. I don't know if dysfunction from the fall has affected your own life, your family's life. Have you been hurt by parents or estranged from siblings or broken in any way? 
Or have you hurt those around you? If so, we hear good news in Jacob's story. Jacob is not presented in Scripture as an ideal. He's not presented as virtuous. Yet Jacob becomes Israel. Israel is the recipient of all that is given to Abraham. God intends to bless all people through this family, a dysfunctional one. And God intends to bless others through you and your family. Dysfunction comes from the fall, but dysfunction does not stop God. But why else is life such a struggle? The second thing we learn from Jacob is that he distrusts God. He distrusts not only God, but he distrusts everyone else. He only trusts himself. In his book, Hustling God, the uh, president of Princeton Seminary, Craig Barnes, writes about Jacob. And he shows that Jacob distrusts every person and every system around him. And therefore, he every system around him. And therefore, he manipulates them. And he controls situations, high control. And some of us also have learned to live this way. Stay on top. Manage. Make sure you've covered your bases. Don't trust anyone. In Genesis 27, we find Jacob deceiving his father into giving him the blessing. Esau is furious and plans on murdering his brother. Rebekah urges Jacob to flee for his life and go as a refugee to the country from which she came. In chapter 28, Jacob is alone in the wilderness, except that he's not alone. He is traveling light, and therefore he didn't take Mr. Pillow Pillow. He has a rock for a pillow that He sees heaven opened and a ladder and angels ascending and descending upon him. At the top of the ladder, it's the Lord. And the Lord said, I will be with you wherever you go. Now, what would happen if you had a dream like that? Would you, like, be any different the next morning? Like, God knows something that I can trust. I am now a different person because of what God has said. Is that what happens? No. No. Jacob doesn't trust people, and he just turns that right to God. It's distrust. I'm not talking about unbelief. Unbelief is when you say, no, I do not believe. Distrust is when you're like hedging your bets. You're like, okay, maybe. Let's just talk about this a little bit. I'm going to hang with you. I'm going to lean my whole weight into you. I'm not going to put all my eggs in that basket of what you say in your word. Jacob's distrust is like the word dis-ease. He's like uncomfortable with full yielding and receiving. So instead of trusting God, Jacob tries to control God, manage the situation. Okay. He says in verse 20, if you will be with me, and if you will keep me, and if you will provide for me, then if you bring me back in a few years, 
then you will be my God. How's that? And I'll give you a tenth, a tenth of everything. Okay? Take it or leave it. That's the deal. Do you see him managing? That's distrust. I will engage with you on my own terms, please. Otherwise, no deal. How on terms, please. Otherwise, no deal. How many of us are like that? Jacob's response shows distrust to good news. God brought the good news. Eh, let me manage this. In his book, Ghost, Sto- Ghost Soldiers, an author, Hampton Sides, tells the story of a dramatic rescue in World War II. On January 28, 1945, there were 121 army rangers that slipped behind enemy lines in the Philippines in an attempt to rescue 513 American and British POWs, prisoners prisoners of war, who spent three years in a prison camp that was like hell. Now, when the rescuers came in, were afraid. They didn't trust them. Some of them fled. Some of them would not budge. It took a while for them to yield and trust their liberators. The rangers quickly searched all the barracks for additional prisoners and shouted as they were leaving, the Americans are leaving. Is anyone else here? And hearing no answer, they left. But one POW remained. He had been on duty, duty at the latrine. His name was Edwin Rose. He wandered back to his barracks, and he failed to notice that the room was empty, and he laid down on his straw mat. He missed the liberation. But before long, Edwin and realized that the others were gone. He caught up with them and got safely onto the American ship. Have you awakened to good news? Do you know that God promises to save and be with and provide for all those who trust in Jesus Christ? Or are you like Jacob? full of distrust. Therefore, you continue to struggle on your own, managing your life. In Jacob's story, we found that dysfunction does not limit God. We find now that distrust will not stop God. Because, point three, God struggles with us. Why is life such a struggle? Maybe we're struggling against God. Maybe God's not letting us go. That's what we see in chapter 32. Jacob has been away from home for 20 years. He's worked for a cheating, deceiving Uncle Laban. And because of that, the situation was unsustainable. And he goes back home to where his parents and his brother are. He's returning now with wives and children and herds and cattle. But he hears the word that his brother Esau is marching toward him with 500 men. 
and he's petrified. He's about to be killed. So what does what did Jacob do? The manipulator, the manager, he organizes all of his flocks and herds into little clumps and sends them on one by one with uh, a herder with them as presents to his brother. And then to his brother. And then he sends his maids and their children. And then the next maid and her children. And then his least favorite wife and her children. And then his favorite wife and her son. I mean, do you see this dysfunction continuing? He sends them ahead of him. And then he stays behind. And that's when he prays. It's the first prayer recorded. It's the first prayer since Bethel, the the ladder going up to heaven. He's really scared. My brother has come to kill me. Please spare me and my family, he prays. And at night, alone, in the wilderness, a hand seizes him. What a frightening moment. He, he doesn't know, is this, uh, is this some kind of bandit that's about to kill him for his clothes? Is this an assassin? Immediately, Jacob begins fighting for his life in hand-to-hand combat, aware that his life depended on its outcome. Notice that in verse 24 of chapter 32, it's a man who's wrestling with Jacob, not Jacob with a man. We talked two weeks ago about this pre-incarnate expression of God in Jesus, pre-incarnate, coming as a man to Abraham. Now we have God as man wrestling. God, his adversary, now this is not his uncle, This is not his father. This is not his brother, but God. Why is God struggling with him, wearing him out all night long in this life? Wearing him out all night long in this life and death struggle? Because Jacob is a child of promise, not of struggle. God struggled with Jacob to cause him to see himself as he truly was. He was weak, he was helpless, he was completely dependent, and God touched him in his hip socket. It was put out of joint, leaving him in pain, walking with a limp. But God blessed him with a new name. You're no longer Jacob, the supplanter, the grabber. You're no longer the deceiver, the cheater. You're Israel. Israel, you have fought with God. You have struggled with God because God is struggling with us. He struggles to show us who he is and who we are to him. And because we put up often no other way, none of us is supposed to struggle as we do. You think of Paul as he's giving the third time his testimony in the book of Acts. In chapter 26, he says, I saw a light and I heard a voice and it was Jesus. And he said, it hurts you to kick against the goads. Goad is that stick that the shepherd would use and put behind the, the, the heel of a kicking ship, sheep so that when it kicked, it would get hurt. It must 
hurt you to live this way, is what Paul heard. That's what we're hearing in this story. It must hurt you to wrestle so much. It must hurt you to struggle all the time. It must hurt you to not submit to me. It must hurt to live this way. Do you remember in Isaiah 40, verse 27? Hear it. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God? If you are in Christ, you are a child of promise, not struggle. I don't know what your struggles are. I don't know if they come from the effects of the fall, dysfunction that's affected us all, continues on to another generation. It does not limit God. I don't know if it's because of distrust. You have been betrayed enough times. You have found no one follows through on their word. You lean on no one but yourself, but God is not a person. Self, but God is not a person. God is everlasting. He does not grow weary. He does not faint. And he will keep pursuing you. Or if you've been struggling against God because you haven't known him, you haven't seen him face to face, he's been an idea. The table. The table of the Lord invites us to meet him face to face. He's humble. He comes to us and he comes wounded, just like us. But his wounds heal. He wants to give you a blessing. And if you've never known it, it can be today. Let us pray. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Old South Presbyterian Church in Newburyport, Massachusetts. If you'd like more information about our historic church or you'd like to find out more about the gospel of Jesus, please visit our website at oldsouthnbpt.org. The peace of Christ be with you.